What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Increase of Our Reality, I'd really appreciate it if you could drop a review or a rating, and I'll give you a shout-out on the show. While you're at it, come join the Telegram group, and follow the show on Instagram and across social media. If you'd like to support the show, check me out over on Patreon for early access to Inquiries of Our Reality and Big Dumb Inquiries, which is the Swapcast show I co-host with Kyle Rainey of the Big Dumb Podcast. If you'd like to pick up some merch, come check out the merch store. If you want to help me out to upgrade my equipment and pump out even more awesome content for you guys, come donate over on Anchor. Or Kofi. And last but not least... If anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered, or you feel you have something to contribute to the show, send me an email at increaseofallrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the Linktree link to be directed. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you, and I couldn't be doing this without you. Now enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the now 51st episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Zach Sterick, the Bigfoot preacher. How's it going today, man? It's going. It's been a beautiful day. I'm sitting here in my beautiful home that me and my beautiful wife have and out on the middle of a 263-acre farm and just enjoying life and getting ready for a long week of work and then working at a youth camp uh, the mid part of the week on my day off and then going on the road for me and the Southern Illinois Monster Hunters uh, Cryptids of Southern Illinois tour. Uh, We got three dates and we're going all over the states with this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But other than that, I am in the moment taking it one day at a time and I am awesome. Sounds like an awesome eventful week, man. And you couldn't ask for much more because honestly, man, I wish I was in the middle of the country in the middle of nowhere. Like I live way too close to the city and it drives me crazy every day. I get a little bit more crazy from it and I can't wait to actually move away from the city. (laughs) 
Well, it's, it's like I tell everybody, and a lot of folks call me a hermit because I go to work, I come home, I go wrestle, I go home, I go preach, and I come home. That's all I do. I, I, I mean, I, I'm all right if it's uh, me and a crowd of people, but they're not like right up against me. It's like, it's like uh, my friend uh, John T uh, Trapper Tice always said, I like having neighbors just when they're not right up against you. I honestly can say I'm not, I'm not any different than you, man. I go to work, I come home, I take care of my kids, I do my podcast and I kind of stay semi-hermit, I guess, besides doing shows like this and stuff like that. But you know, definitely got a lot of the same views on all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I guess to get going here, man, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, uh, why don't you give them a, give them an idea of who you are? Well, uh, first and foremost, I am a, I'm a interim, uh, pastor at Walnut Hill Free Will Baptist Church in Crab Orchard, Illinois. Um, I'm a fourth generation pro wrestler. I am, uh, a cattle rancher. I've uh, been in cattle ranching now for 23 years. Um, I um, uh, started at an early age. I'm only 27 years old. I uh, have a beautiful wife and everything. I started the Southern Illinois Monster Hunters back in 2015. And we're on our seventh year running strong. Um, <clears throat> I'm an outdoorsman. I own my own outdoor brand, Duke Randall Outdoors. Um, I'm a bass singer in a gospel quartet called Ribbon Quartet that's based out of Belleville, Illinois, up by St. Louis. And um, that's just me in the nutshell. You know, I'm here, I, I come on shows to talk cryptids and share the gospel, and that's what I'm here to do. Well, I guess we'll touch on both of those, but first we'll start with the gospel part. So, uh, like, what, what brought you to this path and got you onto the life journey that you're on? Well, I'll put it to you like this and i've said it in a sermon here a couple about two months ago um i filled in for my pastor for the first time and then that's after that so they decided to make me the interim pastor um you know growing up and everything i grew up in the baptist church and everything and uh uh grew and i stayed faithful in the faith up until i was about 20 years old and then i got into college and everything and I'm not saying college is a bad thing, you know, um, I uh, started hanging around with some of the, the, the wrong kind of people and everything, and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know, maybe I should, you know, hang out with these, this crew and, uh, you know, see what, what they have to offer. <clears throat> so, you know, it got, it got pretty, pretty gnarly, you know, I, Grew up, you know, never took a drink in my life. I started drinking real bad, you know, any kind of little mishap that upset in my day. I was grabbing a hold of a beer or something, and, you know, that led to being uh, an abuser of marijuana and everything. You know, I know it's for some people and everything, but it would make me act a fool and everything, and I would literally have a bad reaction to any kind I smoked. Um, you know, I was in a bad car accident here 10 years ago and, uh, it's kind of started there with, um, painkillers and stuff like that. And, you know, it's like I said, uh, to, uh, somebody at church tonight, you know, it's just like how it is, uh, with Jonah. Jonah was, a, a witness and, a uh, uh, for God and a servant of God. 
and he ran from what God was telling him to do because at 20 years old, uh, my senior year in high school, on senior night at the basketball game, I stood before a crowd of a thousand people and I said, you know, um, God's called me to preach. And it, uh, then I went and to say I backslid is a, uh, an understatement. You know, for seven years there, <clears throat> I was a really, really rough patch and everything. I uh, started hanging around with the wrong crowd running in the bars, getting in fights. Uh, basically, I became a, a man of the world. And I'll tell you this much, folks, you know, the world is going to give you nothing but heartache and uh, disappointment and sorrow. And it got to the lowest point here about six months ago. And it was of all places at my great aunt's funeral. She had uh, passed away from uh, pneumonia and I was one of her pallbearers. And I'm sitting there on the third row at the end of the aisle. And uh, my uh, friend, uh, Pastor Robbie Ray was given the eulogy and I wasn't even paying attention to the eulogy. And uh, I just sat there and I hung my head and I heard this loud booming voice that filled the room and I looked around and everybody else was listening to what Pastor Ray was uh, saying. And the voice said, why my child? And I knew right away that that was God. And I just said, you know, I'm not worth it. You know, I've you blessed me with a voice and everything to sing and glorify and praise you. And I'm singing in bars for drinks and women. And, you know, I've been a filthy sinner. I'm not worthy to be called your child. <clears throat> and um, I had a conviction to go home and find this passage and everything in my Bible. And, you know, I hadn't even opened this Bible here for seven years up until that day. And I'll tell you, if this wasn't a predestined divine intervention, I don't know what to tell you. I opened my Bible and it was the parable of the prodigal son. And I dug around in my file cabinet at my desk and right there in the bottom of the drawer was my Bible. And I set my Bible on my desk and I opened it and talk about predestined event and everything. I opened my Bible and right where the marker is in my Bible was the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 29. And in that all those verses were all marked and highlighted already. Talk about a divine intervention. Definitely. I read, I read what it said, and I'm going to read it to you for everybody out there. It says in Luke chapter 15, I'm reading out the New King James Version, Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says, then he said a certain, meaning Jesus, it says a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, 
and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when it says he joined himself to a citizen, he became a uh, laborer for this person. Uh, verse 16 says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will pay, say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. You know, that was me for seven years up until six months ago. And well, seven months ago now. And, uh, you know, I read that passage and I literally, I fell down on my knees in my office and I squalled my eyes out and I gave my life back to God. And in seven months, I have not, I, like I tell everybody, seven months ago, I put down the pills, the marijuana pipe and the booze bottle and I picked up the word and I've been on fire for him ever since. You know, it's the difference, you know, between being a sinner and a born again Christian, because as a, a, a non-believer and as a, a Christian, as a non-believer, you are bound to live by the law, meaning the Ten Commandments. And if you break one of those, that's a one way ticket to hell and eternal damnation and eternal separation from God. But once you make that decision to confess with your mouth and your mind and believe with your mind that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Everything you have ever done is washed away by the blood of Jesus that was shed on a cross 2022 years ago. You know, if I was living, you know, 2022 years ago, I had that break doing the drinking, you know, I broke if there all the Ten Commandments, I broke every single one of them. And I was, I, if I was 2022 years ago, I would have been a one-way ticket to damnation for me. And, you know, <clears throat> and that would have been that story for me. But like I said here in my notes, uh, 1,992 years ago, a man changed that by taking on the sin of the world. He was died, buried, and raised from the dead three days later so that we may have a second chance. His name was Jesus Christ. What's that second chance for folks that don't know what I'm talking about? That's eternal life and an eternal body, a glorified body in eternity with our the man that gave his life and lived a perfect life for us. And, you know, he, anybody can tell me, I I don't try to force this down people's throats and everything. I just go and share my testimony with people and try to have a civil conversation 
with them and tell them what God's done for me. If if their life is falling on hard times, I'll just tell them the world's got nothing for you but heartache and sorrow and depression. That was all me. And I was, and ever since I give my life back to God seven months ago, my life, I have not been depressed. I have not been upset. Everything is more calm now in my life for me. You know, I'm thinking more clearly. I'm not focusing on what I want, but I'm focusing on what he wants, me and God. And, you know, I know at the end of the line that I don't have just a six foot hole that in the dirt waiting for me. You know, I, I will rise again whenever he comes back to get his get his uh, children. And, you know, I, it's just like how it says, you know, confess with your uh, mouth and believe with your heart. And whatever they said, heart in the Bible, they mean your mind. Uh, the thing that works everything uh, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and be baptized in the name of the Son, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, you know, try to be good. That's what I've been doing. And, you know, I, it's like I told somebody, I said, you know, I, whenever they wanted me to go drinking with them, I'm like, you know, I'm not about that no more. I am hanging another gear and making a valiant attempt to be good. And, you know, people think being a Christian is so hard. Uh, right here, I've got a uh, answer for you right here in Mark chapter 12 verse 30 and 31 and it's just two simple commands uh verse 30 in mark chapter 12 verse uh, 30 says and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength this is the first commandment now here's the one and the second verse 31 and the second like it is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these. So basically, in a nutshell, for those that can't wrap their head around it, it's just saying love God and love each other. Honestly, that's what it comes down to, man. That's the <clears throat> easiest and most simplest life you could ever live. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that we've lost track within the world today is that people don't know how to love everybody around them anymore. It's gotten to a point where the world just no. wants to fight, you know, and it's gotten to a point, too, where there's just so much influence in the world that it just pulls people away from staying on a true path um you know no matter what religion you are it's hard to i don't want to say hard but like the world manipulates you in a way that pulls you away from any type of path of goodness and pushes you towards a life of doing bad things and you know using alcohol particularly as like a vice because i use that one for a long time myself too and uh i've noticed that it kind of brings out the bad character in you and I kind of had the same thing that you said, where I kind of got tired of just looking like a fool in front of everybody. So that's when I cleaned my life up and uh, started kind of doing the same thing that, you know, you're doing um, and kind of building up at the moment where I, uh, I'm trying to learn about it, just a bunch of different religions. Um, but the way that it's kind of flowing now is that it seems like the one that makes the most sense to me at this point is Christianity and like spirituality. But from like my standpoint, I believe that a lot of things like that are all based on the same thing. It's just different viewpoints of the same thing. So I kind of feel like in a sense, it's all kind of working towards the same God in a sense, you know? Right. And, you know, it's just like in another thing, like he was talking about how there being so much hate in this world, you know, just because 
different skin colors. I'm not trying to talk on race here at all. I'm giving, I'm, it's like I told whenever I preached here a couple of weeks ago, um, I preach once a month and everything working towards my ordination. And I said, you know, there is no talk of race in the Bible. I would rather be biblically correct than politically correct. Um, because it's just like how it's like I tell everybody, try to be like Jesus. Uh, the Jesus, like I said in one of my sermons, Jesus was colorblind. Why can't we? Because if you look in the Bible, if you go in any concordance in your Bible, uh, doesn't matter what version it is, you ain't going to find nothing about what we call race. Only thing you're going to find is like 10 verses about foot races. Mm hmm. And, um, you know, at the, so I looked it up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary about what the term race meant. It's a noun. And it says any one of the groups that humans are often divided into based on physical traits regarded as common among people of shared ancestry. Now, in biblical definition of that in the King James version, it's a noun. Race is a noun. And the lineage of a family or continued series of descendants from a parent who is called the stock. It's not talking, it's talking about a family unit, not a whole ethnic group, you know. So that being there to me says there's no uh, there's no black, white, brown, or yellow race. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve, like it says in Genesis chapter one, uh, verse 26. It says, then God said, this was back on the sixth day whenever he was making the world. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, uh, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, we're all cut from the same cloth in my point of view. It doesn't matter what we look like. We all bleed red blood and we all breathe the same air, period. Honestly, yeah, that's the same exact view that I have on it too. Like I have no issue with any particular race and I don't see why anybody would considering like you said, like everybody's the same at the root of it. Um, and we're all trying to work for the same point too. That's the other thing that kind of, they, they try to keep everybody divided by races, by a bunch of different factors. But honestly, at the end of the day, I feel like it's more of like a control thing more so than anything. Um, and if everybody just kind of united together, they would realize that we're all kind of working for the same purpose. And all of us just want to live a good, happy, fulfilled life. Like nobody wants to be miserable in this life. Uh, it's just like how it says, um, you know, narrow is the way uh, to salvation, but broad is the road to destruction. You know, it's, it's like my grandfather said to me one time, he's a deacon. And he said, if the world's not uh, fighting you, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. Because, you, know, you know, if you're doing something good, the powers against that are going to do everything they can in their power to make sure that they can stray you away from that path of doing good. It's just like, you know, uh, I was talking with my pastor tonight and uh, he said, you know, the devil knows he's on the losing end of things, but he knows he's going to lose, but he's going to try and take as many of us as he can with. Him. Yeah, very, very true. Period. 
got to uh, collect as many souls as possible to try to stray everybody away from, from the good point, you know, because again, it comes back to a control thing that he's trying to take control over this realm and doing everything in his power. You know, to I'm, do so. It's just like, you know, I invite anybody to tell me anything, another story, you know, I'm running on faith, not by sight. It's uh, Jesus said it. Blessed are those that live by faith and not by sight. And, you know, it, at the end of it all, I'm, I, I believe, you know, that I'm going to have a robe and a crown and a, and a new body waiting on me. This old body, even though I'm 27 years old, my neck, my back, both my knees, both my shoulders and both my elbows are shot from sports and pro wrestling and and being a cattleman and doing rodeo all my life this whole body shot and, and i know that whenever i go in that grave you know that's not the end of the line for me i've got uh, a saved soul that's going to have a glorified body waiting on me on the other side honestly do it gives you something to look forward to too so even if people don't have any kind of faith like it's like you need to have a little bit of something just so that you kind of, it kind of gets you through the day, you know, to know that there might be more on the other side. Like, I don't really understand the viewpoint of how people can go their whole life and not, you know, want to believe that there's anything on the other side, you know, it just, it makes life that much right. more depressing too. But, you know, it's just the fruits of the spirit and everything that, and not only that, me turning my life around, one of the greatest gifts I could have ever got was peace of mind. And I finally got it. I'm definitely with you there too. Cause I'm, you were saying that you're a family man, just like me. And uh, due to my vices and me drinking and doing pills and things like that too, I almost lost my family. So at the end of the day, like you were saying, it's peace of mind knowing that, you know, you can keep your family safe and secure and you're doing the best that you can do in this life. And that's all you can say at the end of the day is that you tried your best and you did your best. Bingo, you hit it nail on the head, brother. But yeah, if anybody, you know, if they want to reach out and contact me after this uh, podcast is over with, you know, I'm all for talking to anybody. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, you know, shove it down your throat. I just want to have a civil conversation with you and everything and share what the Lord's done for me, you know, and, you know, maybe at the end of it, I'll probably be taking them. Uh, they come down to my farm. I'll take you out to the, uh, the, either the creek or the pond, whichever is highest, and I'll baptize you. See, you know, at but the end, that's the end of my sermon. What else do you want to talk about? Oh, so another thing that I always definitely wanted to hop into is uh, the cryptid aspect of it. And you said that you had like a team that you were that you hunt cryptids for. Uh, what got you into that? And how does it like relate to your faith? Like as far as like what you believe that these creatures may have came from. Well, um, well, first off, I'll start, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't put any kind of stock in it. Um, I, uh, I grew up, you know, hearing about all kinds of folklore and legends and stuff like that. Um, but at the end, uh, then it didn't, it finally clicked uh, when I, about, 17 years ago whenever i was nine years old in randolph county illinois outside of st louis uh whenever i actually heard the howl of a bigfoot for the first time and 
whenever it started from there was, um, you know, it started as um, a journey to find closure and what I had experienced. And it turned into a mission to prove that, you know, quote unquote, modern day monsters exist in modern times today. Uh, so like what, what, what was like the, uh, the actual formation of the team? Like what made you pick, like who was on your team? Like what, what, uh, what do they all do to help progress the team and make the team better? Well, you know, my team has gone through a lot of changes, um, since its inception in 2015. Uh, it's just me and, uh, my best friend, Doc, uh, his name's Gunner, but we call him Doc because he uh, he's a doctor. And uh, him and me originally started the team, and uh, it's grown and shrank and then grown again. And now there is six of us running strong. Uh, I got um, me as the team leader. Doc is our head researcher. Uh, of all people, my newfound cousin, uh, ben, uh, Ben, he's our tracker. He's a pro wrestler like me. Um, we got, uh, a friend, our friend, me and Ben's friend, Stacy, that we have our podcast with wrestling with monsters. He is based out of Thibodeau, Louisiana. He runs our Louisiana branch. Um, and he's our occult researcher. He's uh, a preacher himself and everything, but he grew up, uh, you know, hearing about, you know, all the vampires and the voodoo and the hoodoo and stuff like that. And, you know, anytime he comes up here, you know, he comes with his rosary and he comes with his salt and he comes with his walking stick. That's got all four sides of the, uh, uh for the four elements on it. He says, I don't ever know what kind of crap Zach's going to get me into. So I'm coming prepared for anything. <laughs> and then, uh, there's, um, uh, one of the boys that I used to coach in baseball, um, that, uh, we call him Private Powell. His name's Grady. Um, he is our rookie slash caller. And uh, the way he came about the team was he uh, was one of my students. He, Whenever I uh, coached him in high school baseball, he um, showed great interest in this kind of stuff. He goes, I want to learn. So I started handing him book after book and within a, a week this book could be 250 to 300 pages thick and he'd have that whole book read and by the end of the week he's like give me the next one <laughs> and he's so inquisitive he would write reports every uh, and he's like hey what do you think about this and i'd read that thing and i'd just be flabbergasted i'd be like wow grady you're really doing your homework brother and he that's how he became he was my protege and we voted him into the team, and um, he's been a, a pivotal role on this team for the past four years. And then one of our newest members, um, Gail LaFoon, we call him Squatch. Um, he's from Ava, Illinois, and uh, he is the team's uh, security. And when you look at him, you could tell why he's our security because he's six foot six and weighs 340 pounds and he used to be a bouncer. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, and he's a crack shot at 300 yards if you're lucky to get that far. But uh, he's the reason he's, he covers our six. 
when we're in the field, uh, whether we're doing daytime recon or night hunts or even at events and everything, he's one of them team members. But if you get kind of unruly, he'll ask you to step out and, I wouldn't recommend throwing hands with him because he used to be a boxer. <laughs> Say that guy could take on Bigfoot with his bare hands. <laughs> oh, that's what it, that, that's what he says. He says, hey, we find Bigfoot one of these days because he's seen Bigfoot on uh, three separate occasions. But he said, um, he says, I ever run into one up close and personal. I'm going to put it in a headlock because <laughs> he is so he, he's as has he said as the term. Uh, the old term says he's full of piss and vinegar. He'd rather wrestle a bear than shoot it. <laughs> yeah. Especially with that size. It's almost like uh like a test of your strength. Like it's almost like would be fun to do at that point, you know, just to see what you could do. <laughs> right. And that's what makes up the Southern Illinois monster hunters. Um, you know, we're, we're all God fearing Christians and everything. Me and Stacy are, um, our uh, pastors, um, Gail's a pastor as well. Um, uh, Grady um, is uh, a, a youth ministry, helps in the youth ministry at his church. And uh, Doc is a missionary uh, that goes around doing missionary work and stuff like that on mission trips. And uh, we are all... Um, all except for Stacy, were born in Southern Illinois, and we but we were all raised up in the woods, uh, growing up hunting, fishing, and trapping all of our lives, and camping, and you know, between the six of us, there's over 60, 70 uh, years worth of knowledge between all of us, and uh, you know, you I like Stacy puts it, you won't find I don't think another team like ours that's put together because we all literally we I mean we we're like brothers and everything but we butt heads every day on differing opinions on research or whatever's going on day-to-day -day life and that's why I keep these boys on as the official team because I don't want to be surrounded by yes men like my former team was and um, you know some of them were in, on it uh, were on the team just because they saw it, it was some kind of status or a club and everything and they were looking to get famous we're not about that we're out to you know help people we do we call ourselves a consultation and uh, a free therapy for folks that have actually had traumatic encounters with these creatures that they're reporting to us and we give them consultation and everything that if we're not able to get there we go and we try to give them possible um, methods that would keep them away, keep the creatures away from them. Like a woman one time uh, contacted me and she uh, claimed that she was being plagued by a dog man that was coming up around her house, looking in her windows. And she actually, her and her kids locked eyes with this thing. And it was really stirring her and her and scaring her kids and stirring the dogs up and making the dogs super aggressive. I told her that if she took rags dipped in uh, ammonia and she strung them out in trees and put boxes of mothballs in a circle around her house, all that ammonia would keep it, well, I believe would keep it away because that's what we do to keep coyotes um, and uh, other predators um, away from our, uh, our homes and our livestock. Does that mess with their senses because it's so potent? I believe so. 
You know, I mean, if it affects us, it's got to undoubtedly affect them in some way, shape, or form. So uh, what what is, like, the main creature that you guys would say you seem to have the most experiences with? Well, Stacy has had an encounter with a Rougarou. Gail has had an encounter with uh, the Big Muddy Monster, which is a famous Bigfoot from Murfreesboro, Illinois, that happened back in the 70s. But his encounter, he's 34 now, and his encounter happened whenever he was 10. And uh, Ben has encountered uh, Dogman and Bigfoot, um, and uh, surprisingly, in the same area. And uh, me, I have been one of the more fortunate ones. I have encountered Bigfoot, Dogman. I've had one experience with Mothman. And this was the Christmas before the Leap Day tornado in Harrisburg, Illinois, about 10 years ago. Or not even 10 years ago. Uh, wait a minute. No, I got my days mixed up. My dates, I mean. Uh, this was about five years ago uh, is when it happened uh, with me. And then I actually had an encounter, which was the first public, uh, publicly acknowledged encounter with the infield monster in over almost 50 years. Um, I'd love to hear and each of the stories for each of these two, like what happened with each of these encounters. I'm definitely very interested in that. Well, I'll tell you the first encounters for all of them and everything, because, you know, I've had more encounters with Bigfoot and Dogman than the infield monster and um, the Mothman uh, put together. Um, you know, I've encountered these creatures when I've been camping and sometimes it's gotten hands on physical. And I'm not talking like they had a hand around my throat. I mean, they had inadvertently uh, touched me um physically and uh try to do harm or try to uh as i say pull an albert Osman and take me away um that encounter happened here in 2016 um this was my second encounter with the bigfoot uh physically uh face to face seeing one physically um me and my cousin uh big country uh his name's Kyle, but we call him Big Country. Um, we were out camping on our first annual campout. And um, this was the last night we were going home the next morning. And this happened at 4 a.m. Uh, that morning. And uh, we were sleeping in separate tents. And um, he'd been on first watch that night. I'd have done my, I did my night watch which was a two-hour shift and he was already passed out in his tent and i'm like i'm not gonna wake him up i'm just gonna get my tent and go to sleep and so i'm laying in the uh the back in the back in the sleeping bag and i hear something rummaging around in our tent not not our tent our camp i'm tired i apologize no worries but um <laughs> we had a raging fire going that night and you could see it was lighting up the meadow that we were in because we were in this little meadow among the, the thicket of trees. And, um, we, um, 
<clears throat> had everything set up close to the fire and everything. And you could hear something going through our cooler. And I had, was laying on my left side and the fire was at my back. And I looked over my shoulder and I could see a silhouette of a Bigfoot. And it had the lid up on our cooler and it was reaching in there and looking at things and then throwing it over its shoulder. And then it would set something down on the ground. And uh, I said, hey, get out of there. And next thing you know, the lid shut and he took off. And so I uh, thought that had scared him off. And so about 15 minutes goes by and I'm starting to doze back off and everything. And uh, I feel something brushed against my tent. Uh, I thought it was the neighbor's dog because there was a neighbor's house about 100 yards away. And he had a blue tick hound uh, that was um, a rabbit dog. Mm -hmm. and uh these blue ticks we'll use them for tracking uh and we used her the night before uh whenever we were on a night hike looking for these things and i thought it was her i said sally go home baby and then i started hearing a real loud huffing noise and then i was laying at an angle because i was in this little ozark trail dome tent uh that was a little too small for me so I couldn't lay at it wall to wall. I was laying at it corner to corner mm -hmm. and, and I'm just laying there and I felt my feet come up off the ground. Well, I'm inside the tent. This thing had grabbed a hold of the ridge pole and the tent and pulled it straight up, pulled the peg out of the ground and everything. And my feet are up in the air at an angle. And I uh, hollered, uh, put me down. And next thing you know, I'm feeling the ground moving up underneath of me, underneath the floor of the tent. This thing is pulling me across the meadow inside my tent. And I started kicking and thrashing and screaming at this thing. And I finally kicked it in the leg because I was wearing steel-toed hiking boots. And whenever I kicked this thing in the leg, you might as well kick a refrigerator to get more give out of it because this thing was like kicking a refrigerator door. Solid, stout. And it finally let me go. And I had a Bowie knife in the tent with me. I didn't even bother thinking about using the zipper. I pulled that knife out, cut a slit in that tent. And I crawled through that hole in that tent. And I went and I uh, ran back over to my cousin Kyle's tent and I woke him up. I said, he goes, what's going on? He said, let me in there. <laughs> and I called in there with him and we ended up uh, snuggling the rest of the night uh, until daybreak. And I didn't even go back to sleep. We were up until daybreak. Uh, we came out of there and we loaded up the side by side and we took off and we left. And I left that tent there. I'm like, if he wants it, he can have it. Was there uh, any other movement or anything uh, before morning? No, but we kept a log book there with us on a little end table between our chairs. And any kind, it, while the other, this was before we were, as what we call high tech. We didn't have audio recorders back then. I didn't even have an iPhone 
uh, back then. I still had a little Samsung flip phone. And so did he. So anything that happened, audio, tree knocks, seeing anything, we wrote it down with a timestamp and what, what we saw or heard. Mm-hmm. And I'm going through that logbook when we get back to the house the next morning. And it says, um, it said one, uh, one fifteen red eyes at the Northern edge of camp. And this was literally 40 feet away from the fire. And he said, he saw, I said, what do you mean by this about these red eyes? He looked at me and he says, I saw red eyes and you couldn't see where they were a part of, but you could see the fire glowing from the eyes. Well, the eyes glowing from the fire. And, you know, we've been back there several times and everything. And, uh, you know, that was one of the uh, first encounters that was real scary. Um, And then uh, move on to the next one, uh, Dogman. This happened... Uh, my brother was with me and my, my little brother, Josh. Um, this was back at, on July 4th of 2017. Um, every 4th of July uh, out there in our little uh, community and everything, we always have a fireworks display and a potluck at my grandparents' house. And so we are uh, all hanging out there. There's like maybe 20, 25 people there. Um and um, <clears throat> the the fireworks are over and everything. Everybody's cleaning up. And uh, my neighbor's two sons, they're like, can we walk home tonight? And their dad's sitting there arguing with them. And I told him, I, uh, I told him and his, his uh, now ex-wife, um, I said, um, you know, you guys got to work tomorrow. If the boys want to walk home, me and my brother, me and Josh will walk them home and we'll drop them off. No problem. You could trust us. And they said, well, okay. And they got in their car and they left and they lived about a mile away. And we stopped at my house uh, because it's the, uh, July and everything. The snakes are heavy. So I stopped at the house and I got a 22 rifle in case we came across any kind of moccasins or copperheads or timber rattlers or Eastern diamondbacks. That's the only reason I took that 22 is to shoot snakes with. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we're walking along the road, this little side road, and we come out on the blacktop. And while we're walking on the blacktop, a truck comes flying by and about run all of us over. We ended up taking the ditch and, uh, we drop them off at their dad's house, the mom and dad's house. And, um, I looked at my brother. I'm like, so how are we doing this? Getting back home. He says, there's too many idiots on this blacktop. I'm not walking on the blacktop. Let's cut across the field and go up through the woods, uh, going to the house. I said, that's fine with me. It was a full moon that night. So we really didn't need flashlights. And, uh, we're, we come to this creek and on either side of this creek there's um oh cattails growing on either side of the creek and um 
I said, well, we're way back off of the paved road and our road is right over here, about a quarter mile. He goes, no, we've made it this far and the trees are right there, literally hop, skip and a jump from where we're at. Let's just go up through the trees. That's faster than cutting back towards the, our, our side road. I said, okay, you're the boss. And we're walking along the side of this creek bank and you could hear something down in the creek walking parallel in us. And the cattails are so thick on each side that you can't see down in the creek, except if you're looking down towards the roots and uh, you could see the water even during the daytime. And I stopped him and I said, you kicking rocks? Are you throwing rocks in the creek? And he said, no. He says, probably a coon or a possum. I said, okay. And we keep going. And you could hear this thing start walking again. And you could hear it kick over a rock. And I grabbed him by the back of the shirt. I said, all right, you tell me right now, are you pitching rocks in the creek or you are in screwing with me? He said, no, I'm not. And I said, you got your uh, cell phone with you? And he goes, yeah. And I said, turn the flashlight on. I took that flashlight and it wasn't like no real bright light. It was bright enough to stop you if you're walking in pitch dark and keep from tripping over anything. And I took that light and I'm shining it on the cattails trying to go and uh, see down in the creek. And I'm panning left and right and I get right about directly in front of me at about five or six feet away. And I'm seeing these eyes looking at me and it's like amber colored eyes, like orangish red eye shine. And I thought it was like an owl or a coon and everything, but here's the thing. Owl and coon eyes are like this far apart. These were like this far apart. And then I, I thought it was just like two frogs and then they blinked at the same time. Ooh. And I reached out and wherever they blinked, I grabbed him by the chest of his shirt and I pushed him behind me and I didn't take my eyes off this thing. And I said, let's start back towards the road, but you keep me between you and these cattails. Okay. I didn't want to alarm him at all. What I had just seen because he didn't see it. And you know, my brother is 20 years old now, but he was only 14, 15 at the time. And I'm not trying to raise any kind of alarm with him. So I'm trying to keep him calm. Mm -hmm. And we start walking. But, huh? Oh, I was just, I just said, mm -hmm. oh, okay. I thought you had something to say or a question, but no, we start walking back towards the road. Oh, well, we start walking back towards the road and uh, you could hear, you would have thought if it was a coon or a, or a possum or a bobcat, it, it would have kept on going this way. Well, you would go and think that if, if it was some kind of coon or a possum or a bobcat or coyote, we start walking back the opposite way, the way we just came. You would have thought it would have gone in the way we was originally going. You could hear this thing coming up behind us. And we come down this little low spot down this hill and the creek bank uh, gets a little bit lower and the, the um, not the, the creek bed, the bank itself and the cattails start thinning out a little bit. Well, like I said, it was a full moon that night. 
and right where you can see the cattails were thinning out, um, I saw a silhouette of a head and it looked like a giant wolf head. And I grabbed a hold of him and I said, all right, here's a row, let's jog, I'll race you. And I let him get a head start and he's already a fast enough runner. So I come up behind him, I look behind me at the cattails and you could see an arm reach up and push the cattails out of the way. And you could see this thing put a hand out and come up over the top of the bank. But whenever it came up, it tripped, uh, trying, I guess, digging its, its forepaw into the bank to climb out. And it kind of did a little bit of a front roll, kind of like it was tripping all over itself trying to get up. And we got on the main road and we took off running. He goes, hey, I'm going, John, my little brother goes, hey, I'm going to beat you to the house. And I said, I don't think so. If you can run any faster, I'll give you $5 if you beat me. And so he took off running harder than he, than he could. And I look behind us as we're coming up the road and this thing is running up the road on two feet. And we're going uphill and we get to the top of that hill and I lost sight of it. And then literally maybe 50 yards from the top of that hill was a dust of dawn streetlight. And I said, I said, I'll go and I'll race you to the house. And, uh, we get there to the light and I remembered uh, hearing from a story uh, about the, the Palmyra wolves and in, in Palmyra, Maine, where these things don't seem to like bright light. And I said, whoever can run to the other side of the light from this side wins the five bucks. And we ran and we hit that light and I could hear this thing running in the loose gravel on the shoulder. And I, I said, there we go. Let's roll. I'll, uh, if you beat me uh, by at least as we we call it car lengths, but if, if you could beat me by twenty foot, I'll give you ten. And he took off running like he had a rocket up behind him running. <laughs> and I said, "Okay, you win." He turns around and he sees this thing coming up behind me as I'm running through the light. And he goes, "Zach, look out!" And I went, and that thing stopped right at the edge of that light on the opposite side from us. And all you could see was its snout uh, and the, uh, the toes on its feet, its, its back legs at the edge of that light. And it was, uh, you could see where it was huffing and doing its shoulders like it was huffing and its chest expand. And I went, I pulled, I know that 22 rifle wasn't going to do much and anything all i knew is that i had a club i could try to beat this thing to death with and this thing was eye level with me standing on a on a on a tarn chip road on level ground and i put my arm behind my uh in front of my brother and pushed him behind me and i'm sitting there looking at this thing i'm like i'm not backing down from you if you want some you come get some but I'm going to take a chunk out of you if I can, if I help it. And then it, I just kind of stared it down and it turned around and it walked back down the road that it came from. And then we ran inside and we dead bolted the, the, the front door and the back door. 
latched all the windows and pulled all the curtains to. And we told our mom about it. And uh, she sat us down and told us that she had had encounters with creatures, not like a dog man, but she had actually encountered Bigfoot as about when she was about our, our age at the time. So she believed us. Dude, man, that'd be horrifying. I can't even imagine getting chased down the road by a dog man. And I feel just because of you said your experience, um, I'm kind of like one of those believers that I feel like there's certain people that are kind of attuned to these things where they almost like are like an antenna to them. So I wonder if it's also something with your family that you've had so many experiences and your mom's had an experience that maybe these things are kind of like drawn to you guys like an antenna almost. Well, when my family, see, back in 1850 or 1860, two brothers from Germany immigrated to where our, our farm is now. And uh, they uh, settled in there. And ever since then, that whenever they settled and staked the land and everything is their own, every generation of my family has had encounters with these things. So do you think it's linked to them then, or do you think it's the land itself? I believe it's the land itself. That's what I kind of figured. I mean, too. out there you got, it's plenty of wooded area. You know, it's all agricultural ground too, along with uh, having livestock. It's a very heavily wooded area. You know, there's creeks that run through there. There's ponds. There's, um, uh, stock ponds, fish ponds, um, you know, there's plenty of, uh, uh, we call them freezer shacks out here where they store their butchered and uh, butchered livestock and stuff like that. So there's plenty of food and plenty of domesticated pets and there's plenty of wildlife in the area for there to be a sustained population. Yeah, definitely. And you could probably go their entire life's barely ever being seen by anybody too, if, uh, the woods and everything are that thick over in that area. Well, I mean, the corn is 10 foot high right now in places. They could be running through that corn in the, in the daytime and not even worry about being seen. They'd be using those cornfields as travel routes. Yeah, that is very true. And then the only thing that they may have to pop out of the corn for is just that going the distance over the road to the other cornfield. And I'm sure yeah. that they've adapted at this point that they've been around long enough that they know what things to avoid. So if they see a car and they're trying to be hidden, I'm sure that they are fully aware at this point to know to avoid cars. Right. But uh, I, you said you had two, two other stories, too. You said you had a Mothman story. And then uh, what, what was the other one that you mentioned that you said you were the first encounter with over, for over 50 years? Field monster. Yep, I definitely it, want to hear those two. monster. Okay, well, this one with the Mothman happened. This happened um, back in 2000 and um, when was it? 2016 it was right around christmas and um i had gone and this was way long before i even met my wife or even knew she existed i was out with um a girlfriend i had at the time and this is about three o'clock in the morning she calls me and wakes me up in the middle of the night and this was back whenever walmart and mcdonald's was still open 24 hours a day uh, she's like, get up, get out, get dressed. We need to go get Elf on a shelf. And I'm like, I said, it's three in the morning. I don't care. Let's go. Okay. So I throw my clothes on 
she comes and picks me up from her place and uh, she go, we're going and we're driving down this back road. And it was um, right around Christmas. Like I said, there was a full moon that night or a three quarter moon, I should say, probably it's been so long ago. And uh, we uh, were driving down along this field and right off the road, about 20 feet, I see uh, a silhouette. And I thought it was a man out there uh, wearing a black coat. And I said, stop the car. I said, do you see that man out there? She goes, yeah. And I said, I wonder if he's okay. I'm going to go, let, let me get out and check on him. Of course, out there where I'm at and everything, I didn't know if this guy could be, if, if it was what I thought was a person was stranded or if they were drunk or if they were, uh, you know, uh, an old man that had Alzheimer's that had wandered off in the middle of the night. I didn't want him to sit out there and freeze to death. Yeah. And I said, sir, are you okay? Do I need to call somebody? Didn't say nothing. And I walked uh, off the road and down in a ditch, back up this uh, hillside and into the edge of the field. And I said, I said, sir, is everything okay? She said, what is it? And I said, I don't know. He won't answer me. And I was sitting there and I said, sir, are you okay? Or can you hear me? Are, are you, I, I started doing this uh, sign language and everything. Because the she had a light shining on me a little bit, but all you could see was it was just solid black. Mm-hmm. This uh, figure, even with the light hitting, it was jet black. And I'm like, listen, if you're out here trespassing, you're on private property, and I'll call the law on you. And about that time, what I thought was a coat opened up into a pair of wings, and this thing had its wings wrapped around it like how Goliath did in Gargoyles, where he had it pulled around like this, and then the wings just opened straight up. And I, they saying, I know the eyes lit up, the light flash of red, and I looked directly into him, and literally it was like getting flash burned by a, an arc welder. <laughs> and it literally burnt my eyes. I was struggling to get my uh, sight back because I couldn't see anything. All I could see was little flashes of white spots uh, trying to get my bearings back. And I'm out there stumbling around and I hear a whoosh. And I go and I finally get my eyes back and everything. And I look where this thing was and it was gone except for where all the grass, where this thing had stood, all the grass around where this thing was standing was pushed out the opposite direction from the center. And I also, and I said, do you see which way he goes? He went and she goes, yeah, he went up. <laughs> I said, I said, up. She goes, yeah. Like he shot an arrow out of a bow. <laughs> I started looking up and everything, trying to see where it went. And I couldn't hear nothing. I couldn't even hear the wings flapping like they did whenever this thing took off. And she come out and got me and took me back to the car. And I said, let's just get out of here. Let's go. And I was like, and she goes, what do you want to do? And I'm like, "Uh, let's just take the long way 
or back around. I'm getting my eyes back. Let's go get your thing and let's go home. So that was the encounter that I had with Mothman. So as far as like the Mothman goes, your opinion, uh, do you think that a lot of these cryptids are something that may be linked to something interdimensional? Like you think when he went straight up, he may have like left this physical plane possibly, or do you think that he just took up with such velocity that he just disappeared into the sky and you couldn't even hear the wings flapping because it was up so high. I, I, I believe the latter, you yeah. know, I've seen, you know, birds take off like, you know, hummingbirds, they take off with a flap of the wing and everything. Just, they just really just flap their wing once and they're off the ground. And then they move at uh, high velocity of speed. And like even with ducks, uh, you know, I've been out duck hunting. I've seen flocks of ducks and them ducks coming in at an angle to uh, to uh, light in the decoys and everything. They're coming in 70 mile an hour, sometimes faster. We've actually been out there out of curiosity uh, with a, a radar gun and we clocked ducks coming in at 100 mile an hour. Oh, wow. I didn't even think that they traveled. So that I fast. believe, you know, this thing moves with such, I believe this thing moves with such velocity that it's just, it gets out of sight like that unless you have an eye on it. So uh, before we get into the last story, too, another question that I've been meaning to ask you um, as far as like Bigfoot, uh, Dogman, like things like that, that are almost like human related, but kind of like a subsection of humans. Uh, like coming from your perspective, like what do you think is their like origin and where they come from? Yeah, I, you know, I really don't know. Um, you know, there's so many theories out there of like what Bigfoot could be. Um, you know, some people would say that Bigfoot or Dogman could be a uh, a descendant of Cain because. When Cain killed Abel, God disfigured him, and he marked him to make him look different from everyone else. Uh, there's also reports that Bigfoot could be the Nephilim, which was the the sons of God, the sons of the children of the sons of uh, of God and the daughter of man, the fallen angels uh, having uh, children with the women of Earth. Um, you know, some people say that they're interdimensional, which I do not believe. You know, I've had too many encounters with these things to know that these things are flesh and blood, physical creatures. They're not some ghost and uh, they're not some alien. You know, whatever it gets down to that, people saying that they've seen them cloak or heard a mind speak and stuff like that. You know, I believe that it's something completely different that's using the guise of bigfoot to actually disguise what it actually really is and uh what do you think that they might really be if you just had to make an educated guess all i know is that they're flesh and blood you know there is some people say that they're relic hominoid uh or rel not hominoid hominid um some people believe that they're an undiscovered great ape. I really don't know what to think. I don't think they're a human-ape hybrid because that would be impossible. Science proved that because Joseph Stalin tried to go and crossbreed uh, a male 
uh, chimpanzee sperm with uh, a human female embryo, and it was a stalemate. So I do not believe that they're human ape hybrid. It's got to be one or the two. Uh, have you ever taken into consideration that possibly they could be like, there's, there's obviously a lot of like retext or text that's been removed from the Bible, such as the book of Enoch, like you were just referencing. Um, do you think that it might be possible that it could have been another race that like God created from like a biblical standpoint? And it was just like a race that wasn't really intended to be here that maybe he was trying to take out with the great floods, for example. And then some of them just remain still around. You know, I, well, here's the thing with the great flood and everything, you know, the text tells us that uh, the only ones that survived were the male and female two by two, of the animals of the earth, Noah and his wife, uh, his uh, three sons and their wives uh, and their families to repopulate the earth. Everything else from the lowest valley to the highest peak was underwater. I believe that if it were in fact that that they would have been wiped out then i honestly you know that's a real hard one because i try to look at things you know as uh as a pastor and both with a scientific objective mind and you know some things you know i just don't have the answers to the quest especially to questions like that all I know is I know what I've seen. I know what I've heard. I know what I've felt. I know what I've smelled. Um, you know, these things are 100% real, but what they could be, I could not tell you. I mean, theoretically, too, if they are possibly Nephilim, which were also referred to as giants, which would kind of make sense because it would almost be like Bigfoot's a giant, but just some more hair. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but even after the Great Flood, uh, wasn't there still some Nephilim that supposedly lived? Yeah, uh, there was um, Goliath was believed to be a Nephilim. Me and uh, actually our uh, our music director that sings in our praise group with me, uh, Tim Leonard. He uh, we were talking about that. Um, you know, it's a possibility. You know, um, there's a lot of theories about with the flood and everything, but you know, I'm just quoting what the text says. You know, the world was a lot smaller back then, back even in the time of Jonah, from uh, Israel to Spain, across the, the Mediterranean Sea, and what little known land that was around it, you know, that was the world back then. Um, you know, but as far as what it go, as it goes, you know, I couldn't tell you what i think they are all i know is they're 100 real i guess all we can really but do is come up I do with believe that they are i do believe that they are something that god actually created because it says in genesis that he created you know every bird of the air fish of the sea and everything that uh creeps across, uh, along the ground I guess that's all we can do is kind of come up with theories until uh, I'm not, you know, you don't want to until we physically have one in front of us that we can like question and kind of figure out. It's kind of one of those things that only a handful of people will know for sure, just because of the fact of having experiences with them. But even with the experiences, though, it's not like you can 
ask him about the origin. So the only way that would actually happen is if we eventually figure out that you can have a conversation with these things, because who knows, maybe all these different cryptids do speak normal dialect for all we know, you know, they, or they could speak something totally different, <laughs> but I mean, they may be just as advanced as we are, but in a different extent where maybe they, again, people talk about the thing where they kind of have the thoughts projected into their heads. Like maybe they just kind of have this different way of communicating where they maybe don't have to use physical words. Well, you know, whenever it comes to that with the cloaking and the mind speak um, and the term zapping, you know, there, I believe I, because I've experienced what people call zapping. Um, for people that aren't familiar with infrasound. that. Infrasound. I'll say for people that aren't familiar with that, do you, do you mind explaining a little bit? <clears throat> Well, zapping is where that people claim that Bigfoot will, they send out some kind of energy that will go and, you know, make you very nauseous, give you raucous headaches and make you physically sick. There's actually a scientific term for that, and that's called infrasound. Infrasound has actually been weaponized by our military. And if you, there is prolonged exposure to infrasound, it can kill you. It will stop your heart. <laughs> I always like to. Uh... I've been exposed to it on an investigation back in May of this last year. Me and uh, Ben, my cousin, we were investigating a property in Franklin County that had been plagued by Bigfoot. Uh, reports from the property owner and my cousin Ben was actually one of the witnesses to the first couple happenings out there at the property and I uh, went into these we heard movement off in the pine trees about 75 yards away downhill from us and I had a shotgun and my cousin Ben had a rifle and I told him, I said, you've got the range with that rifle and you've got the night vision th the scope on it. I said, you cover me. I'm going to go in there in those pine trees and whatever's in there, I'm going to flush it out. And if that thing turns on me and I can't put it down with a shotgun, you put it down with that rifle. He says, okay, cool. I go in there and I flush this thing out. I go maybe 50 yards inside the tree line and walk about a hundred yards. And, uh, I come out the other side and you can ask him right as I came out of those trees, I started feeling very nauseous. Like I was going to throw up. I had a really bad headache. My sinuses started swelling shut. I was breaking out in a cold sweat and I was white as a sheet whenever I came out of there. And I asked the property owner, cause we were going to interview her after our night hunt to see if anything we found heard or seen matched up with what she was saying and um, we videotaped the uh, conversation with the property owner and before we started videotaping I asked her I said do you have any water I can drink and she brought me a glass of water and I drank that and you can watch the playback from the the three-part uh interview with the property owner you could tell i was sick and so we got done and i um 
got my truck and I drove back down here uh, from where we were at was 45 minutes. And I drove back a 45 minute drive in between here and there in 45 minutes, I pulled off on the side of the road to either throw up or dry heave. And I got home and my wife and her grandmother were still sitting at the kitchen table waiting for me to get home. And I walk in the sliding door and I shut the sliding door and I just fell over and collapsed. And they uh, can tell you, I was all kinds of messed up for three weeks from the effects of this thing. And then I started, uh, I had a flash in my head, a little light went off and I started researching what infrasound was and some of the symptoms from being affected, uh, affected by infrasound. And it matched up perfect 100% with what I experienced uh, in, at that farm. And I do still will to this day say I was hit with infrasound by a Bigfoot. So would it also be considered that too? Um, I've had a couple people that have said they've had some encounters and uh, the way they describe it isn't as much of a sick feeling, but they get this like feeling of dread and like they're not supposed to be somewhere. And it's almost like a flight or flight fight or flight response kicks in and they feel like they need to get out of the area. Would that still be considered like zapping by like a Bigfoot if it's like a little bit of a different feeling? No, that's no, that's the primal hunter sense, because, you know, every animal and every human has that uh, fight or flight instinct from our uh, from our ancestors from uh, centuries and eons ago, you know, back to when we were still living in the middle of nowhere, fighting off predators with bows and arrows and flint knives and spears. Um, you know, that's always something that we're always going to have. It's part of our DNA. That's what I call the, uh, the primal hunter instinct, whether, you know, should I run if I got a way out or is my back against the wall and should I fight, you know, Sometimes you get some people out there that probably ain't, never, as I say, as the term goes, haven't been off the concrete a day in their life, and they're out of their element in the woods. And, you know, it's that fear of the unknown of what you don't see, but you're hearing. You don't know what you're dealing with. That's where I believe that comes from. Yeah, that definitely makes sense then, because like you were saying, a lot of people don't spend that much time in the woods. This, this particular person, he did spend a lot of time in the woods. Um, and he just said that <clears throat> it was just like a really weird, ominous feeling, but I wonder if that's also something that partly kicks in. If it's just knowing that there's a predator, that's more of an apex predator than you are in the area. Like it's a second nature thing that you can like sense that there's something that's stronger than you in the area. I could agree with that. So uh, I guess without further ado, I really want to get into uh, your last experience, your newest experience that you're referring to. Okay. Well, I'll set the scene for you. Um, this was on a uh, Tuesday night in uh, White County, Illinois. Um, at the time, I was working for Southern uh, Farm Supply. I was uh, an anhydrous uh opera uh plan operator 
and I um, move farm chemicals like Zendra Pro, Acuron Flexi, stuff like that, uh, crossbow, Roundup, weed killer, uh, stuff like that for farmers. And I was working on the Mississippi River at the time. And the boss said, well, it's going to rain tomorrow. There ain't going to be much action going on down here. Worth time for you driving an hour to come down here to work, you know, take tomorrow off. I said, all right, I'm going fishing. I'll <laughs> see you guys on Thursday. And uh, I went and I had my, uh, my bow fishing rig with me because I like to bow fish. And, uh, you know, it's a lot more action packed than fishing on the bottom for catfish with rod and reel and especially the best time to go bow fishing is after a hard rain uh, along the river whenever all the agricultural ground uh, is getting watered by the irrigation ditches well all the carp and the gar are going to be coming in from out of the actual river into these irrigation ditches and um, so I drove from Gorham, Illinois, uh, up to Olney, Illinois, and uh, drove past Olney to the Wabash River. And um, I'd been up there. It took me three hours to get from Gorham to Olney, uh, straight driving. And I drove up there, and I caught me a couple gar um, along the riverbank, and I just pulled them off of the arrow and threw them up on the bank because they're all trash fish. They're not worth eating. They're only good for bait. And my mom uh, called me and my wife called me. And they're all, uh, my mom called to check on me. And then my wife says, when are you coming home? And I said, I'll be home here probably about another two hours. The mosquitoes are starting to eat me up now up here along the river. So, and I got about a two hour drive home because it's a hundred miles back to my our house and i said i'll be home probably around maybe 10 10 30 she said okay i love you bye and i started loading everything up and i uh drove through Olney, back through noble and i started uh driving uh down 45 and i came past uh fairfield illinois and i drove through fairfield and this was about eight o'clock at night is whenever I started home. Well, about eight 45, nine o'clock, I came through a little town called Enfield and I'd been to Enfield once before, but that was like a, almost a year uh, uh, prior to this. And I was driving through Enfield and whenever I tell you Enfield is a small town, it's the kind you blink, you're going to miss it. And, and I mean it. They roll the sidewalk up after dark. There is not a soul on the street. All the stores are closed. The gas station shut down. And, uh, you know, it's like a ghost town. Mm -hmm. So Route 45 goes right through Enfield. And I drove through Enfield, drove past the rail, the rail yard, um, drove past the gas station. And I'm heading south out of Enfield. Well, all these farmers, they're all going and trying to get their uh, crops treated before it rained because it was supposed to rain real heavy the next day. And I'm getting close to where the Route 45 and Route 14 junction is because Route 14 runs east to uh, west and Route 45 runs north to south. 
and there is a uh, street light at that intersection on the left side if you're heading south on the north side of 14 there's an old abandoned gas station and on the right side is Williams Insurance House and I see where it says stop ahead so I start slowing down well on the right side of my uh, windshield I see a shadow moving uh, behind Williams Insurance House and I thought it was a deer and I started to slow down because I'm like it's probably a deer one of these farmers have stirred up I'm slowing down because I'm not in the mood to go and hit a deer or anything and I see this thing go down in the ditch and I have my head uh, my uh, headlights on high and this thing comes runs up out of the ditch runs across the two-lane blacktop in five or six steps hits the ditch on the other side goes up and out of it and takes off across the field and this all happened in under five seconds that this whole ordeal happened but it, i got a good enough look at it in that matter of time to actually give an accurate description for somebody to actually go and do a rendering of this thing. And what I saw was something, because I drive a little uh, Ford Ranger Mm -hmm. and everything on it is stock. I don't have no lift kit on it. So right where the top of the dash, it meets the top of the hood. It's probably like maybe three and a half, four feet in height. And I uh, said, this thing could have easily stood at my driver's side window and looked over the top of the door at me and looked right up at me. Uh, this thing was about three and a half to four foot high. It had dark gray skin, like wet elephant skin color. Um, it had a reptilian like head, like an alligator head with a short snout. We called that pug nosed and it had a short snout on it with where the light was hitting it from the profile you could see a faint pinkish hue from the eye shine this thing had two arms coming out of the side and everything you could see where this thing had shoulders and it looked like it had three claws and an opposable thumb on the hands and then other reports of this thing is that it has a tripod configuration set up for its its legs and you could see where this thing was running on the two front legs, but it had that third leg right around where you would, where your tailbone is on us is where that leg was coming out of. And it had that back leg drawn up like how um, a possum would draw its tail up when it's running. And this thing was running across and it had its arms drawn up like you would see a raptor run in Jurassic Park. And you could hear I was slowing down everything and I had my windows down because the ACs blowed out my truck and not wanting to work. So I had the windows down so that way I could stay cool. You could hear the claws on this thing's feet ticking as it ran across that blacktop. And then it was gone. I stopped at that stop sign and I carried a 750 lumen uh, headlamp with me that I had that night for fishing. I kicked that thing on. I looked out my driver's side window and I scanned that field and this thing was already gone. It was scooting. 
Do you think that that's the same one that was seen back 50 years ago? Or do you think that it may be like that there's possibly like a family of these things that's been hidden for that long? Well, the one that happened 50 years ago, it was seen for about 11 days by eight different people. And after 11 days, it disappeared. Do I believe you know, any, that this that could be the same thing? Well, anything's possible, you know, especially when we're dealing with something we don't know what it is. You know, some people say it's a demon, which I do not think it is because, you know, I've, I've, I tell everybody I'm an empath and I can sense emotions and intent. Uh, if I'm in close proximity to something, this thing was uh, 10, 20 feet from my truck. I did not detect any kind of evil intention from this thing at all, or any kind of thing you would associate with a demonic entity. If anything, I sense fear in this thing because it could have easily stopped in front of my truck. Like I caught it by surprise, but it was head going that way. This is the way I'm going Screw that guy in the truck. It's like, it was trying to get away from something else. Um, you know, that kind of will to survive and everything it could be the same one but then again it could be an offspring of one uh of the the one that was the, the original one back 50 years ago you know like i said anything's possible um you know some people think this thing like i said is demonic i do not think so some people say it could be uh some kind of extraterrestrial uh, someone says it could be a, um, a government lab experiment that escapes. I am, I, I don't know what to think whenever it comes to those, but I can put a, uh, cross one off the list that this thing is not something that is a demonic spirit, because honestly, if I had to slow down and this thing ran out in front of me last minute, I would have told my the front end of my truck out hitting this thing. Because, I mean, this thing had some mass to it. I don't think it would be, uh, be any type of extraterrestrial type of creature either. Uh, just from, like, the impression of it, it seems like it's kind of, like, I don't want to say primitive, but more, like, animalistic, I guess, where I don't know if it would make sense for it to have, like, flown here on, like, a spaceship or however people believe that extraterrestrials get here. So, like, as far as, like, those three go, I feel like the one that makes the most sense to me is that it could possibly be an experiment or maybe it was, uh, like, an, like, a creature that maybe was created from some type of, like, animal inbreeding and it kind of created its own species at this point. Also something that could be likely. But um, the other thing that I was thinking, too, while you're talking is I don't know if anybody back 50 years ago had shot at it, but I wonder if somebody had shot at it or tried to go after it and it kind of learned quickly to avoid people. And that's why it hadn't been seen in over 50 years is because it, like you were kind of saying, just kind of wanted to be left alone rather than trying to attack you. Like a lot of these other cryptids would do. Well, Henry McDaniel, the first night this thing was seen shot at this thing with a 22 pistol cops, uh, uh, police officers had gone and shot at this thing. There was people, there was monster hunters, going out in posses and hunting parties, hunting this thing. Some people claim they shot at it. So I do believe that this thing knows to stay away from people. Um, I called my, uh, I was 
under a nervous wreck whenever I saw this thing. And I sat there for like two and a half minutes to collect myself at that stop sign. I literally, I put the truck in park and shut the truck off. And I just sat there in the quiet. I was almost, I was so worked up. I was almost to tears and I was trying not to hyperventilate. And I said, the only person that really could calm me down like this, this real quickly with me being this bad is my mom. And I called my mother. I said, mom, and she goes, what's wrong? And I said, you're not going to believe this. She said, what? And I said, I think I just saw the infield monster. And I described what it, I saw to her and I said, mom, this thing looked like a dinosaur. And she said, a dinosaur? I said, yeah, it looks like one of those dinosaurs you'd see in, in Jurassic Park, one of the little ones. And, you know, driving back home that night, that's all I could think about. And then I got home and I told my team about it. And uh, I we really got to discussing it and everything. And, you know, there are modern-day dinosaur reports all over the world. Mokila Mamembe, uh, the uh, Van Meter monster. Uh, the, some people believe the Thunderbird to be a pterosaur. What if this thing could have been some kind of di- of leftover dinosaur that survived extinction? That's kind of the other thing that I was thinking, too. Anything's Maybe possible. they changed a little bit over time, you know? So uh, just before we start wrapping up the show here, just because you brought it up and I'm kind of curious, um, coming from like a, like a biblical at, uh, perspective, like how, how would, how would you describe dinosaurs? Honestly, I, <clears throat> there's the theory, you know, that there's the old time and the, uh, and the, the new time, the, where it says, you know, in the beginning in, in Genesis, it says the earth was without form. And God hovered above the water. God uh, created everything. You know, what is to say that, you know, there wasn't dinosaurs before the earth was uh, restarted and everything. And, uh, you know, you get where I'm going with this. I apologize for my dog in the background. Um, She wants to go out. But uh, (laughs) the um, this, uh, you know what it was to say that these things weren't here the way scientists are dating them, but what's to say that uh, God didn't use the asteroid to wipe them out and then restart it over in a world suitable for humans. Because even back then scientists can tell you that the way these creatures were that, and from what they found with carbon dating, that the world was a completely different place back then. It would be unsuitable for humans to survive. So, you know, what if, what if that God ended the old earth and earth and started with the new earth? I mean, that could be a lot where a lot of these cryptids could possibly come from too, is that if not everything got wiped out, like who's to say that like Bigfoot may not have been something that was around at the same time as the dinosaurs. Cause when you go into right. like Yahweh legend, for example, Uh, They talk about that as being like one of the first things ever created um, as far as like from the aboriginals perspective. So, I mean, it's definitely likely. Well, here's the thing. And it's like I tell everybody, whenever it comes to folklore, 
no matter where you are in the world. There's a little bit of truth that happened that inspired that folklore. And then it grew from there. And a lot of it, some of it got embellished. Some of it's still being told told truthfully. And so it's just like how my our security Gail puts it. It's our job to separate the fact from the bull crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's the problem, too, is that a lot of people will have an experience and then they'll remember it differently. And then as that happens through different generations of people, um, it takes one simple thing and turns into something completely different than what it actually was. Like you're referring to like with the whole interdimensional concept being attached to like Bigfoot and a lot of cryptids uh, that could just be, again, somebody taking something like that, what you were saying, where they will put out that frequency that makes you sick and kind of pick that up as like some type of interdimensional property. And then they'll start kind of adding more things to the legend. And then it kind of gets to a point where it's been heard so many times that people start believing it as fact, even though there may not have actually been that many experiences where those things happened. It's just like that. It's just like that old game we used to play in school. And I'm sure you played it too. The teacher whispers something to the kid in the front row and they've got to repeat it to the person behind him. And it goes all up and down the rows until that last kid that repeats it uh, back to the teacher. The teacher could have said, uh, the boy in church had a pizza and then the last kid will say the guy, the fat man at the bar had a golf ball. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you that's, know, a, that's a problem that know, happens these, to a lot of stories through time these, too. These, it's just like how it is with word of mouth and everything, you know, perfect thing, uh, with, uh, word of mouth, uh, legends and stories i use this one quite often is the story of grendel the beowulf you know the the story of beowulf and grendel and grendel's mother and the dragon was passed down by word of mouth for generations from the time it was first believed to have come into being until modern times and then it was put down on paper a lot of things you know like even with the native americans I believe they were seeing something because, and it's just like how Dr. John Bendernagel put it, the orca, the beaver, and the eagle exists in Native American mythology, and they exist in, in reality. Bigfoot exists in Native American mythology. Why can't he exist in reality? They're telling what they've seen. That's what I was going to say, too, is that a lot of these ancient people, once you start seeing similar drawings that go across different cultures, <clears throat> I don't get why they are so pushed to the side so quickly. Like considering that all of these different ancient cultures all drew the same things, like there has to be some sort of truth to it, even including like things flying in the sky and like the whole extraterrestrial concept, um, almost, you know, Native American legend and a bunch of different um, cultures all depicted drawings of things coming from the sky too mm -hmm. but again it's so easily dismissed though just because it doesn't fit the mainstream narrative of things <laughs> right but um i guess before we start wrapping up here um i always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners so if you had some words of wisdom that you wanted to bestow on people what would they be don't depend on the world. The world will let you down. 
depend on God, he'll never let you down. Love God and love each other. Quit watching the news. It's depressing. <laughs> Get back in nature. You'll find more peace and peace of mind if you put God and nature together. You actually get out in creation. Be objective with what you go to put out there and be ready to defend it when any kind of scrutiny does and will come your way because you're always going to have naysayers. You got to have a thick skin in this kind of uh, field work. You know, and not only that, have your argument foolproof but be good to your fellow man. No matter how they come at you, some people, they won't agree with you just because they don't like you or because they're so stagnant in what they think and believe, you know, still be good to them. And it's just like how my pastor says, especially he says, always be good to somebody because you never know. It could be an angel in disguise or the Lord himself in disguise. Always be good at your fellow man. You never know what people could be going through, too, because, you know, you could think that somebody's an asshole, but they could have the worst day possible. And, uh, you know, you being a, ter- a bad person to them is what might tip them over the edge. You know, like you never know what people are going through. So always take that into consideration. And I'm one that I feel, you know, help people out as much as you possibly can, because at the end of the day, we're all in this together and we're never going to get anywhere unless all of us learn how to work together. Well, it's just like I work in a gas station. I'm a cashier at a gas station and I'm a cook. Uh, Aside from farming, I tell all my customers every day, I ask them, I say, are you having a good day today? Uh, They say, "Eh, it's going, not really. No, I'm not. And I say, well, I look down at their feet and I say, you got shoes on your feet and you ain't standing here naked. You got clothes on you. And you're sitting there, you've got money in your hand, so I'm taking it. You've paid your bills and you got a nice car outside so well, yeah, that runs. You got food right here that I've just made you and now I'm selling you. So you're going to have food in your belly and I'm willing to bet you got a roof over your head. And you're sitting here, standing here, breathing and you're, and you're standing on the ground and you're not six feet in it. So I think you're having a pretty good day. Honestly, and everybody kind of doesn't, they don't appreciate the fact that you're here every single day because not everybody gets, gets that, you know, everything could be ended extremely abruptly. So you have to appreciate every moment you have, even if it's a negative moment, um, you know, it's still better than nothing at all, or, you know, not, not being here today. (laughs) You know, it's people worry about the material things, you know, and it's just, like, you know, we come into this world with nothing. We're leaving this world with nothing. But what you, the good, uh, the good things that you do uh, in, in life, they will be uh, put away as treasures in heaven. That's what the scripture says. Definitely agree. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're chasing materialistic items, like you're never, you're never going to be happy. You're just going to be chasing the next thing and you're never going to ever feel fulfilled. You have to learn how to find fulfillment within yourself. Exactly, you know, and uh, it's just like I tell everybody, you know, I ask them, I'm like, where are you going to be when the end is here? 
I said, which way are you going? And he said, I said, are you going up or down? You know, and if they don't know where they're going, I share the gospel with them. I share the story of Jesus with them. And sometimes they leave scratching their head. Some people storm them out and say, I don't want to hear that. But there's always uh, those people that want to make that decision and make Jesus the Lord of their life. And I, we uh, say the sinner's prayer. They repent of their sins. And I either take them out to the uh, river or the pond or the creek, and I baptize them. And they're always, and then they come to our church, and they're surrounded by a good Christian church family that are not judgmental, and they will love and hug you, and give the clothes off their back and the last dollar in their pocket to make sure that you're okay. And that's what I tell everybody. I invite everybody to come and attend uh, our church, uh, Walnut Hill Free Will Baptist Church in Crab Orchard, Illinois. And uh, it's one of the finer churches that I've ever been a part of. It's a beautiful thing that things like that still exist and there's still people around like that in the world. I've just, I was grown, I was raised up to always be good to my fellow man and everything, you know, I lived a heathen scumbag lifestyle for a long time and everything, but, and I thought I was run, running with the good crowd and I always got my heart broke and let down and left behind. But then I left that, uh, left the, my heathen days behind me. I picked up that Bible that's sitting right there. And I started reading it and following what God uh, asks of me. And my life has been 100% way better since then. Awesome. You know, call it dog luck, but I'm giving credit to the Almighty for being such a blessed person. <laughs> hey, and that's all we can do, man. Um, so anybody that enjoyed this conversation, uh, where can they come and find you at? They can find me a number of places, Jack. <laughs> um, they could go and they could find me on my YouTube channel, uh, Zach D. Sterick. Uh, they could find me on Duke Randall Outdoors Facebook page, uh, my Instagram, Duke Randall Official. They could find me on Twitter, DR Outdoors 2021. Uh, they can even email me at blimpsimh at gmail.com. They can go and uh, find me on TikTok, the real 618 Cowboy. Uh, they can find me on Facebook under my name, Zach B. Sterick. Uh, they can find me on the Southern Illinois Monster Hunters page, or they can follow my, uh, my journey in ministry with gospel music uh, through the uh, Sterick Music Ministry uh, page. And, uh, you know, sky is the limit. And... I'm loving it one day at a time. I love meeting new folks. I love talking to folks. And, uh, you know, I'm just out there to try and make the world a little better place and make somebody's day every day. Hey, man, that's all we can do. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, making the time to have this conversation with me because I really enjoyed this conversation. I had a blast, brother. And I'll definitely, I would love to have you on the show uh, sooner, hopefully, than later again. Because I, I would love to do this again. I, I, I'm be glad to be honest with you. And, uh, what's coming up next for us, starting this next Saturday on the 16th, 
uh, well, the 15th, we will be on Lon Strickler's uh, Phantom and Monsters Radio Hour. Uh, me and the boys will. Uh, then uh, the next day starts our Creatures of Southern Illinois lecture tour. Uh, first stop is in Pittsburgh, Illinois, the Pittsburgh City Hall. And then on the 23rd, we will be going to Grayville, Illinois, which is about an hour and a half away um, to the Groff Memorial Library to do the same uh, presentation. And then uh, July 24th at Walnut Hill Free Will Baptist Church, that's the, the church I'm an interim pastor at. Me and my gospel, the gospel quartet that I'm a part of, I sing bass, um, Riven Quartet, we will be there singing that night, and it's a free concert open to the public, and we'll be having uh, uh, potluck after afterwards. Um, I invite everybody to come out. That's a Sunday night, 6 o'clock. You can find that event info on the Sturt Music Ministry page. Um, it's got the address and the time and the date and everything on it. And then coming up here, July 30th, we will be heading back north to Glen Carbon, Illinois, right outside of St. Louis, uh, to the Glen Carbon Memorial Library and Museum to give our final lecture of our um, summer tour. Um, and then we will be in Harrisburg, Illinois, October 8th um, for the Shawnee Sasquatch Festival that the, that the city of Harrisburg puts on. Last year was the first event and we had a blast. There was 1,500 people there for that first event in pouring down rain. <laughs> You'll have to send me some of this information for these events because if there's anything that's uh, within a couple hours of where I live, I would definitely love to come and check it out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I invite you to come on down to the Sasquatch Festival and bring your kids. And it's a beautiful place. Bring your family, bring your kids, bring your friends. It's right at the gateway to the Shawnee National Forest. It's free rides, free entertainment, free face painting. There are vendor booths, food trucks, and then the Southern Illinois Monster Hunters will be giving a lecture there as well. And then at the end of the night to close it out, it's a big, uh, big concert going to be happening. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a lot of fun. And I'll definitely then, have to get some information on that. Oh, for sure. And then um, let's see one other thing I forgot. Um, you also check out the hunt for the Shawnee Sasquatch Facebook page. That is the documentary that we filmed this uh, spring. Uh where we got together with Daniel Benoit of the ECBRO and uh, his fiance Jessica Mora. They drove all the way out here from Virginia. And then Stacy Coughlin, our occult researcher, drove all the way up from New Orleans, Louisiana. And we, he, we all got together in an undisclosed location that we took the title No Man's Land in the Shawnee National Forest. And I will just say this, you need to watch the movie to see some of the evidence that we found. We found footprints. We found tree structures. we found mark, uh, uh, sign markers out there of these things. And we even caught one on camera. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll definitely thermal. have to try to add that uh, that link into the description for anybody listening, too, so they can check it out quick and easy. Yeah, copies of the DVD are $20 plus $5 shipping. I'll definitely have to get one of those myself. I, I really appreciate it, man. I had a lot of fun today. I had a blast, and, you know, anytime I get to come on and, you know, they willingly let me uh, share the gospel and share my testimony and everything, you know, that's uh, another seed planted and whoever listens and everything, and hopefully the host as well. You know, uh, there's been a lot of places that have asked me on, and I tell them I'm bringing my Bible with me. It's my conviction. Oh, well, we don't want you to do that. And I said, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) See, I'm completely open with all those types of concepts. I'm one of those people that if you don't put the information in front of people, nobody's going to be able to pick it up and kind of run with it. So like, especially with my show, I try to introduce people to a lot of different ideas and a lot of different topics so that people can pick what they want and they can pursue it and chase after it. So I'm glad that I was at least able to be your, uh, your soapbox so that you could say what you need to say too. I'm just telling you, you want to, you want to have something to look forward to beyond the grave. You know, you're getting a robe and a crown. You're getting a mansion and the most beautiful city ever created that will, uh, that will never fall like Rome or the, any dynasty or any kingdom in history that's fell. This one will never fall. And not only that, you get a brand new, brand new, uh, spanking new body at the end of it that'll never ache or never grow old. We and all need one of those. Live forever. Definitely need one. And of those. you get to live forever. If you have a better, uh, if you have a better uh, something to tell me, better than that, I'll listen to you. But I doubt you will. It'll <laughs> make you think too. Very true. To uh, all the listeners that are around, uh, I really appreciate you for uh, staying and listening to the show. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I'll see you in the next one. Have a good night, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.